Imagine your new bathroom. A sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels. Welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. This is Education in the News, and I'm your host, Pamela Clark. As usual, we share shows um, or educational news from around the U.S. and the world. And we have, there's lots going on in the world of education. So let's get right into the show. And um, so the first story that I have for you is from the Daily Iowan. And it says, why peer support is key for special education teachers. Appropriate, appropriate pay is only one of the ways special education teachers require support. And providing a network of peer support is essential to helping teachers offer the best possible service to stu- students. Associate Superintendent Josh Lyons of the Salon Community School District in Iowa says in this opinion piece, Research indicates that peer support is key to teacher retention in special education or in special education, which are with a reported 20% of teachers citing a lack of support as the reason they left the profession. The Washington Post reports that educators in D.C. create texts for a reading program. District of Columbia Public Schools has adopted a reading program this school year called DCPS, Readers Next Door. The program includes a new series of texts, largely written and illustrated by educators in the district, designed to improve literacy among young readers by using decodable texts, that's quoted, that emphasize phonics skills. Reporter Newspapers in Atlanta, Georgia reports how two Georgia districts are addressing pandemic learning gaps. School districts in two Georgia counties are taking steps to address students' learning losses since the pandemic began. The DeKalb County School District is training educators to use literacy program that Chief Academics Officer Stacy Stepney, Stepney uh, says supports the, quote, different types of learner that has come out of the pandemic. (laughs) I chuckle at that because, I don't know, I just feel like that is incorrectly used. There are different types of learners. 
um, people that learn in different ways, but it has little to do with the pandemic, and I doubt that it's made them a different type of learner. Um, it, they may have even more of a gap in their education, but I, I don't know if about how she is using this. Um, I think it's kind of used inappropriately, so, or is, or is being used inappropriately, I should say. Anyways, um, Variety reports that LAUSD pushes through school opening despite cyber attack. Hack hackers compromised the IT systems of the Los Angeles Unified School District and a ransom attack over Labor Day weekend, but the schools still open as scheduled Tuesday. The district is, is investigating the matter with help from local and national government agencies, including the FBI and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. And HeraldNet in Everett, Washington, reports that a Washington group wants leaders to go a week without driving. Disability Mobility Initiatives Week Without Driving event will take place later this month, challenging officials in Washington State to consider the difficulties faced by people with mobility challenges. Organizers hope that the event will lead transportation leaders and city and county officials to invest in finished sidewalks, reliable transit, and other options for those who don't drive. I think that's a good thing. I don't know what you think. Um, I personally have had mobility issues off and on throughout my life. And even the standards that we have now, I don't think are enough. So I think it's a good thing that they're doing this. Um, but I think it should be looked at on a much larger scale as well and, and maybe have people that, you know, suffer with these issues on these boards of people that make these decisions or these officials should actually invite them to meetings um, to be part of these types of decisions. All right, let's see. The next story I have from you, or for you, I should say, is from Arizona Capital Times. And it says, push continues for media literacy bill in Arizona. There have been several attempts to pass legislation in Arizona that would support media literacy education since 2016, says Mark Bordine, leader of the Arizona chapter of Media Literacy Now. Media literacy develops critical thinking skills around all types of media, builds an understanding of how media messages shape our culture, and society gives people tools to advocate for change in media spaces, according to the organization. This is the next one I have for me is from, was covered in Politico and TechCrunch, and it says Irish regulator fines Instagram four hundred and one million dollars for GDPR violations. Instagram has filed. I'm sorry, Instagram has been fined over $401 billion for Irish regulator for violating the European Union's general data protection regulation. The fine imposed by the Irish Data Protection Commission stems from 
settings for children, which a spokesperson for Instagram parent company Meta says were updated more than a year ago. Wow. What do you think of that? <laughs> do you think the, the company can come out of that? Do you think they, they could pay that kind of money and still be in existence? Um, and I kind of wonder, you know, what exactly they did. It doesn't explain in great detail, but other than stems from settings for children, that's kind of interesting. What are your thoughts? Do you know anything about it? We'd love to hear from you. CNN reports that Jackson State University was hard hit by water crisis. The Jackson State University students moved into their dorms in mid-August only to be forced to pack up and go home because of the collapse of the city's outdated water system for flooding. Without running water on campus, the university shifted to online classes and worked to find resources for those who stayed on campus. Wow. <laughs> One thing after another, isn't it? Just It's just crazy the kind of reports like, why didn't they update their water system before now that this would have happened? The next story I have for you is from Education Week, and it says funding formula technicalities hurt this royal district. A small school district in New York State that has one K-12 school building with fewer than 100 students was among the districts nationwide that did not receive federal coronavirus relief funding because it does not receive Title I aid. In this interview, Superintendent Noel Short says it's frustrating to lose out on the aid, which would have made a difference for students. This is from American Banker, covered this story, and it says, BOFA launches cybersecurity training for students. Amid a several shortage, amid a severe shortage, excuse me, of qualified personnel for cybersecurity management jobs, Bank of America hopes to have found a solution by working alongside New Jersey's Liberty Science Center to provide tuition for school-aged children um, in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, with particular focus on cybersecurity. Students who complete a program could be offered full-time careers at the bank. That's interesting. All right, next story I have for you is from the Associated Press. It says, Bridges writes children's books about making a difference. Ruby Bridges, who was among the first students to integrate all white students in New Orleans in 1960, has written a children's book called I Am Ruby Bridges. The book is intended for children as young as four and includes a glossary defining terms such as Supreme Court and law. Bear with me as I bring up the next story here. Edutopia reports that ideas on shifting to a restorative campus culture. It's especially important for principals to participate in restorative practices because they play a major part in helping to set campus culture 
Amy Starzyski, superintendent of the Superior School District in Wisconsin, writes, Creating a vision for the initiative and gathering buy-in are important first steps. LAIST in Los Angeles reports that a program chains, trains California teachers in structured literacy. Some educators in California are taking part in a dyslexia teacher training program at the University of Laverne to learn how to best support students with the condition and others with reading challenges. The program is intended to train educators in structured literacy, which includes phonics, syntax, and later sound, letter sound relationships. As other efforts are being aimed at teaching educators to identify the signs of dyslexia, so students can provide can be provided quickly with supports. CIO Dive reports the role of growing beyond just technology. It was, in quotations, black box that the CEO only needed to know was being managed no longer holds true and the effective CIOs need to be peers on the leadership team and integrate IT into company operations, says Boeing CIO Susan Donas. MetLife's Bill Pappas said that to recruit a competitive and contemporary team, CIOs must recognize that teach or tech professionals want to be part of more than just technology they, that they work with. A Pappas pro, priority list includes traditional HR instructor functions. I'm sorry. Tongue-tied today, it seems. Um, Got a few um, repeats here. It happens. I'm trying to get through it. Alrighty, let's see. The next story I have from you is actually from CBS News. They did a story called Push for Later Start to School Day Fizzles. Uh, teenagers, many of whom do not get enough sleep, are wired to wake up later in the day, research shows. The data has prompted officials in several states to consider pushing back the start of the school day, but so far only California has done so. Forbes reports that the survey shows trends in college applications. More than a quarter of high school students applied to more than 10 colleges, most starting after the junior year. The majority visited at least one campus according to findings from a new niche senior enrollment survey. The Herald-Dispatch in Huntington, West Virginia reports that a West Virginia high school librarian also serves as a historian. Jennifer Day Day, a Huntington, West Virginia native and Huntington High School graduate, now serves as the school's librarian. Dave says she maintains an extensive knowledge of local and school history, including maintaining past yearbooks, noting that people often... Imagine your new bathroom. 
a sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels. Tired of long waits and rushed care at the ER and urgent care clinic? Next time, stay home and let Dispatch Health bring the power of the hospital to you. I call Dispatch Health. A care team of medical professionals actually come to your house. They're the same caliber of people that you would see if you were at a hospital or an urgent care. Dispatch Health can treat most non-life-threatening emergencies. They can do the x-rays, they can do stitches. Urinary tract infections, blood tests, urinalysis, ultrasound. It's almost everything that they can do at the ER. You never feel rushed. They're there for you and only you. I felt like their only patient. And it costs no more than a trip to urgent care because Dispatch Health is covered by most insurance, including Medicare. See if we serve your home at DispatchHealth.com. Dispatch Health really went above and beyond. It's wonderful to have care come to your home. House calls are back, and they're better than ever. Learn more at DispatchHealth.com. Comes to her for historical information. Ed Surge reports or asks the question, I should say, do we overestimate students' digital know-how? K-12 students are often referred to as digital natives, but just because they grew up using technology does not mean they are skilled at using digital academic tools, educators and experts say. Mizuko Ito, a cultural anthropologist, says she finds the young people are more familiar with digital culture and online communication than they are with the type of digital skills needed to succeed in higher education. I could see how that would be a thing. I don't know about you, depending on what they're implementing. I mean, students need to be showing how to use any tool that's introduced to them. Right. I mean, do you agree with that? Uh, the next story I have from you or for you is from Education Week. It says funding formula technicalities hurt this rural district, a small school district in New York State that has one K to 12 school building with fewer than 100 students, was among the districts nationwide that did not receive federal coronavirus relief funding, but it does not receive Title I aid. In this interview, Superintendent Noel Short says it is frustrating to lose out on the aid, which would have made a difference for students. WBIR-TV in Knoxville, Tennessee reports that a Tennessee district launched a school mill and fundraiser. Blount County Schools in Tennessee is working to raise $2.5 million for, from businesses and individuals to continue offering a free school meal program to all students that began during the start of the coronavirus pandemic. Ron Thames, president of the Blount County School Nutrition Program, says the funds would allow the district to continue to serve free breakfasts and lunches during the school year.
bear with me for a moment as I bring up the next news story. Um, the next stories I have from you uh, were sent from the Ohio Department of Education, State and Local Education News. The Akron Beacon Journal reports that Road to Recovery, Akron Public School students regain about 70% of lost test score points. Akron Beacon Journal, um, or, I'm sorry, Akron Public School students are showing improved academics following a steep drop after a year of remote learning during the height of the pandemic. Students have regained more than two-thirds of the points lost on the state test scores according to the preliminary data released Tuesday. The district will still receive two out of a possible five stars for achievement on the state's report card, set to be released September 15, said Tamia Cavier, uh, uh, Assistant Superintendent and Chief of Academics. Columbus Fox 28 reports that school tradition has students dressed for success as they begin the school year. The annual tie-tying ceremony has become a tradition at Columbus City Preparatory School for Boys. The simple lesson in wardrobe helps spark a lifetime of success, smiles, laughter, and some nicely tied ties filled the Columbus City Preparatory School for Boys Auditorium Tuesday morning. The event is far more than just learning to tie a tie. This is literally... This is a quote. This is literally step one on a journey of a mile. Columbus City Preparatory School for Boys Principal Ty Cornett said. Cleveland ABC 5 reports that two Amherst teens published children's mystery book. Two Amherst 8th graders are taking on the children's book industry after publishing their book at just 13 years old and they're thanking the pandemic for inspiring them to do it. The unexpected reality of 2021 allowed for their imagination to run wild during a time of uncertainty, sickness, and constant change. Emma um, Cusable and Caitlin Banyas, friendship provided an escape as they grew closer. I might have pronounced some of those names correct incorrectly. Um, let's see, Mansfield News Journal reports that Shelby City School welcomes students back with new building. A digital sign that greets visitors to Shelby City Schools proclaims, quote, it's a great day to be a Whippet. Tuesday was an or especially good day as the district opened a new building for grades pre-K to 8. Quote, it's a little surreal that they're finally to this point, school board president Lori White said, quote, We've dreamed about this for so long since we built the high school. It was always part of the strategic plan. The high school opened in 2013 with the new building. All students are on, camp on one campus. The district got this new school in collaboration with the Ohio Facilities Construction Commission that didn't require voter approval. Toledo Blade reports that after delay, Toledo School of the Arts opens for the new academic year. Although the renovations are still incomplete at Toledo School of the Arts, so come back Tuesday, where they discovered how much had changed since the end of May. Upon entering the building, 16-year-old Christina 
Arici said she was taken back, aback to see a larger renovated lunchroom relocated from the bottom floor to the first floor where students enter in the morning. And Philanthropy News Digest reports that Home Depot invests $3.7 million to fill labor gap and skill trades. The grants will be used to support programs with 100 black men of America, including development of a trade academy programs in Sacramento and Phoenix, and in addition to 300000 to existing trade school scholarship programs. And UC San Diego receives a $150 million pledge for stem cell research. The gift is from, uh, from Giving Pledger T. Denny Sanford will establish a new institute to bolster the school's stem cell research and regenerative medicine programs and fund new programs to be conducted aboard the International Space Station. California Endowment awards $47 million in social bond investments. The latest round of grant making includes a total of $47 million in support of organizations working to create sustainable impact and advance equity on a policy and systems change level. Okay, we need to take a quick commercial break. I'll be right back. Stay tuned. Right now, right now you, might be, you might be struggling through, through, your, through classes your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. school. There might have even there been a thought, thought that you may not be smart enough. Smart enough. Well, well, the New Heights, Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group, educational resources to help reach Hello, welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. This is your host, Pamela Clark. You're listening to Education in the News. Let's get right back into it. The next story I have from for you is right out of Ireland. And it was written by Chris Pandolfa. And... Um, you can actually look it up on theblaze.com if you'd like to see this story in person. Um, we'll probably be sharing it on our social media accounts, possibly. But it says, Christian teacher imprisoned in Ireland after refusing to use transgender students' preferred pronouns. A Christian teacher in Ireland who refused to use preferred pronouns of a transgender student has been suspended and is now in jail for contempt of court. Enoch Burke was arrested on Monday for violating a court order to neither teach nor be physically present at Wilson's Hospital School in Multifarnham, County Westmeath, Ireland. The Church of Ireland-affiliated boarding school sought to have Burke imprisoned after he continued to attend the school after receiving a court order barring, barring him from doing so, the Daily Mail reports, quote, it's, it is an insanity that I will be led from this courtroom to a place of incarceration, but I will not give up my Christian beliefs, Burke said, after the judge Michael Quinn found him in contempt of 
court. The trouble for Burke started when he refused to address a transgender student by the pronoun they rather than he as requested by the student and the student's parents in May. The school agreed to the request. But Burke, a Christian, was placed on suspension after he refused to address the student with their gender-neutral pronouns. Quote, I am a teacher and I don't want to go to prison. I want to be in my classroom today. That's where I was this morning when I was arrested, Burke told the judge Monday, according to the Daily Mail. He explained that he loves teaching students German, history, and politics and encouraging debate. Quote, transgenderism is against my Christian beliefs. It is contrary to the scriptures, contrary to the ethos of the church and of Ireland and of my school, Burke said. Further quote, it is extraordinary and reprehensible that someone's religious beliefs on this matter could ever be taken as grounds for an allegation of misconduct, he added, referring to his suspension. Further quote, my religious beliefs are not misconduct. They are not gross misconduct. They, will, they never will be. They are dear to me. I will never deny them and never betray them, and I will never bow to an order that would require me to do so. If it, it is not possible for me to do that, he continued. Burke described the school's actions, quotations again, unreasonable, unjust, and unfair. A lawyer for Wilson's Hospital School Board of Management reportedly said that it was with a heavy heart, in quotations, that the administration suspended Burke and sought to have him imprisoned, but that his actions gave them no other choice. Quote, another quote again, it is coercive order. It is a coercive order we are seeking, not a punitive order. We are simply seeking to have Mr. Burke comply with the order, the council said. Further quotations. Mr. Burke is knowingly in breach of this order. He is therefore in contempt, and he has made it clear that if he is not committed to prison, he will, he will attend at the school today, and the concerns of the school regarding the ongoing disruption to the students remain, she added. According to the Daily Mail, the school's counsel noted that Burke could make this argument about religious liberty at court on Tuesday um, when his injunction issued last week will be reviewed and also at the school's disciplinary hearing later this month. Judge Quinn reported say, or reportedly said his ruling was not based on the merits of Burke's argument but rather on whether he had willing, willfully violated the court order. He added that Burke would, could purge his contempt at any point by arguing not to attend his school or attempt to teach there. English broadcaster Pierce Morgan called Burke's imprisonment a ridiculous farce. Quote, Jailed for not wanting to call a singular person they. What a ridiculous farce. How can anyone believe this is right? 
in a supposedly free democratic society, Morgan tweeted. He added that while he doesn't agree with the teacher's views, for him to be jailed is outrageous. What do you think about this story? Had you heard about it? Um, do you believe somebody should be jailed for their, for their outlook or their beliefs? I mean, it's someone else's beliefs of how they want to be identified um, that caused this issue or partly caused this issue. And then this teacher said, no, I won't do it. And um, obviously the school promised that they would do it, but did they have a right to put words in all their teachers' mouths? Uh, I mean, what do you think? I mean, we could really pick this apart if we wanted to um, on a very deep level. Um, so... I have a lot of mixed feelings about this in the sense of, I do think it's important that, that someone is identified by the name they want to go by um, and I'll say that. So I identify people by name and I think it is important to listen how someone introduces themselves. And I personally have had issue with people that, um, that don't want to do this. So for example, my name is Pamela Clark and I prefer to go by the name Pamela and I shouldn't have to explain why I don't want the shortened version of my name to be used. And I am one of those people that do try to listen to how a person introduces themselves to me because it does show a sign of respect. And we live in a culture where you shorten names to um, whatever, I don't know what it is. It's like a cultural thing. It's, it's um, easier for someone to shorten someone's name in their mind or maybe it makes them feel like they are closer to that individual if they can shorten their name and 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 talk to them using their shortened name and it is frustrating uh, because there's all kinds of reasons why someone might want to be called what they're called and I realize that it's not someone's um <sighs> You know, that other people, and I'm, again, talking about calling someone by their name, okay? So, again, I'm trying to pick apart the point of this. Now, if someone calls me Pam, and Pam instead of Pamela, should they go to prison for that? Should they go to jail? Should they be, should they have their, if they're a teacher, should they have their teacher rights taken away? Because really... There's no difference between those two things, whether you're using a pronoun or a name. So if, if we go down the slippery slope of, um, well, someone didn't call me by my pronoun and they can be arrested and put in jail. Well, then 
isn't um, someone calling someone by a shortened version of their name, is that going to get that person in trouble and arrested? I mean, how far down the rabbit hole do you really want to go? And I hope this makes sense. I hope this is making you think a little bit um, about what really may be going on underneath these issues that's causing this. And, um, yeah, I mean, I kind of leave it at that. If you have an opinion, I'd love to hear it. And you can also let me know if you think I'm overthinking this or, but I'm, but I do have some experience in this and I work for it with people from all over the world. And I, and I try to be very respectful with those people and what they want me to call them, you know, what name they want me to call them. And, and in some cultures, you know, you call the person by their first or I mean their last name instead of their first name. So it's really, um, you, you really have to learn about history, not only in America, but history around the world. And if someone says, I would like to be addressed in this way, I th think that you should, um, you know, try to do that. But at the same time, I don't think someone should be forced either. Um, so... <laughs> It's a really slippery slope that we're on. And I also have to question that some of some people are doing this to cause trouble. Not all people. Some people are being genuine and sincere and, and, and how they feel that how they want to be addressed. But there's some people that may target others and really don't care. And they're saying it. There's good and bad in every situation. So from someone that deals with a lot of different people from different cultures and beliefs, I have a little more experience than the average person um, because of my work with the New Heights Educational Group. So anyways, that's, that's my opinion. Um, I would love to hear yours. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we're going to come right back. Hello listeners, if you're enjoying the New Heights show on education and want to support or donate to our organization, please visit www.newheightseducation.org. And while you're there, check out our online store. Welcome back to the New Heights show on education. We're covering education in the news, stories from around the U.S. and the world. Let's get right back into it. Lots more stories to share, and um, let's get into it. So, daily, Dayton, Dayton, or Dayton Daily News, excuse me, reports that local, state, national strategies target teacher staffing concerns. The Ohio Department of Education, or Higher Education, announced a $5.2 million to Ohio colleges and universities earlier this year to strengthen teaching programs. Dayton Public Schools announced a plan to get high school sophomores to take classes in education. With an opportunity to go to Central State University for a bachelor's in education and teach at Dayton Public, 
Here are some of the local and state initiatives to get more people interested in teaching. The ODE continues to develop Human Capital Management Resource Center, which provides guidance and tools for district administrators and central office staff to attract, hire, entertain, support teachers and educators. With the diversity of recruitment educators, Association for Miami Valley or DREAM, any district in the area that wants to work together to recruit more teachers of color to the profession could do so. The initiative has a $70,000 three-year grant for the project. The Montgomery County Educational Service Center has centralized system where any candidate can apply to multiple jobs in more than 70 districts and county education service centers at the same time through the same portal. And Ohio recently reduced the requirements for a person with a lapsed license to return to the workforce. Renewing a lapsed professional license now requires nine semester hours, reduced from 12 semester hours. Teachers with a license lapsed for more than one year who find employment can be issued a one-year license valid for teaching in the same manner as their previous held licenses. While employed, teachers complete reduced requirements to reinstate the professional license. Cleveland.com reports that Avon Police School community on how to take action in emergencies. The Avon School community is likely better prepared to react to a service threat followed by a recent safety forum. The city's police department held the forum August 15th to inform staff, students, and residents about how to take action in emergency situations such as a shooting at a school. The department also shared how police and the schools work together to stay vigilant and prepared. Cleveland ABC 5 reports that Parma Elementary School promotes reading and rewards students with new book vending machine. A Parma area elementary school is working to re-engage students and make reading fun through a new book vending machine initiative that rewards children for excellent behavior in and out of the classroom. School officials say after a few short weeks in operation, it's already making a difference. And Ohio Spectrum News 1 reports that Zenith Academy rolls out one of Ohio's first EV school buses. Columbus Zenith Academy is one of the first to take advantage of grants through AAP Ohio and the Ohio EPA to bring an electric bus into their ranks. Quote, there's not much of a difference between this bus and our diesel bus, says Steve Thompson, an electric vehicle specialist at Thomas Built Buses by Ohio Cat a nationwide manufacturer of school buses. Thompson estimates Zenith Academy will save at least $5,000 this year on fuel alone for their new electric bus. Thompson said no other school districts in Ohio are currently using electric school buses, but he said that with available EPA and AAP funding, it expects that to change. The Daily Reporter in Coldwater, Michigan, reports that an 8th graders ease first aid jitters for 6th graders. Rising 8th grade volunteers at Lake Middle School 
in Coldwater, Michigan, participated in the web Where Everybody Belongs program to welcome incoming sixth graders. The volunteers participated in a training session over the summer, then helped welcome the incoming students through peer support and mentoring, says teacher Heather Sobeck. K-12 Dive reports urges to U.S. to adopt universal uh, school mills. The U.S. should return to offering universally free school meals, according to guidance released in a report by the Task Force on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health. Quote, Congress should provide a free nutritious meal, lunch, breakfast, summer, and after-school meals for all children in the United States. Removing the income test and ensuring all children receive free meals without stigma and burdensome paperwork, the report states. KNDO-TV and KNDU-TV of Yakima, Washington, reports that Washington District adopts accessibility program. Walla Walla, Washington schools are planning to boost inclusion and support for students with disabilities by making assistive technology available to all students. The The Universal Design for Learning programs helps ensure that all students are able to receive lesson materials, says District Special Education Director Bob Casey. K-12 Dive reports that districts take lead in student pedestrian safety. School districts in Harrisonville, Missouri and Charlottesville, Virginia are forming partnerships to help improve student pedestrian safety in Charlottesville. A partnership between the city and the school district resulted in improvements to crosswalks, sidewalks, and roads. Right, let's see, the next story I have for you Sorry, I thought I had one that I wanted to share. Okay, I'm not real familiar with this yet. I'm kind of just learning about it. There's a a new daily news, um, I don't know if you'd call it a web search engine or or what it is, but it's called Freespoke. I'm not sure how far along or or how old it is, I'm not sure, but... I started to kind of follow up to kind of learn more about it. It provides news stories, and um, there's some here for education. I wanted to share. Okay, it says, this was from the New York Post, but they're sharing it through this free spoke. It says, um, update, authorities, positivity, ID, body found in searching for Tennessee teacher, Eliza Fletcher, the deceased victim that was located yesterday in the 600 block of Victor, has been identified as 34-year-old Eliza Fletcher, the Memphis police tweeted um, Tuesday morning. Um, I know we normally don't cover stuff like that, but again, I'm, I scour for anything educational. And you can, let's see, if we click... On this, it will take us to freespoke.com. Okay, 
one of the things I like about this um, is that they give you three sides of the news. So they have the side from the left, then both sides agree, what they both agree on, and then what the right thinks. Again, New Heights isn't a political organization at all, but um, let me, so let me read to you what the left says about this, the middle, or what everybody agrees on, I should say, and then the right. So the left says, NBC News, police in Memphis, Tennessee announced Monday that a body has been discovered just a day after charges were announced against a man in the alleged kidnapping case. And then both sides agree. This is from Sports Keto, and I'm not... I'm not familiar with it either, to be honest with you. Um, but it says the body was found Monday after a series of searches over Labor Day weekend for Fletcher, who was kidnapped at about 4 a.m. Friday. Police said a man approached her and forced her into an SUV after a brief struggle, police said. Fletcher was reported missing when she did not return home from her regular morning jog. And then they say from the right, the New York Post says the deceased victim that was located yesterday in a 600 block of Victor had been identified as 34-year-old Eliza Fletcher. And so what I already read to you. Um, so there's a bit more information on the right than on the left. And there's, um, there's and what's agreed on for both of them is, is in the middle. Now it does show pictures of this kidnapping and everything. Um, yeah. So if you want to check it out, go to Free uh, Spoke and you can type in Missing Tennessee Teacher or something like that to, to have it bring up. Let me see. I think there were some other ones I wanted to share with you. Okay, it must be in a different one. I, I get more than one of them um, at a time. Let me see. So this is from ASCD Smart Brief, actually. Actually, a lot of repeats from what I've already shared. <laughs> E-School News reports that whole child approach can help students reach potential. The pandemic has highlighted pre-existing issues with special education, and the road to improvement is going to require a different approach than before. Asserts Jillian Barati of the Ulster Board of Cooperative Educational Services. Focusing on the whole child rather than special needs and services and isolation is the first step to helping students attain their full potential, Barati writes. Arizona Center for Investigative Reporting reports that low staffing among barriers to create or to care for Arizona use. An Arizona law known as Jake's Law, named after a 15-year-old who died of suicide when his family's insurance policy would not cover inpatient mental health care, was a step toward coverage parity and allows schools to refer un underinsured, underinsured, students to mental health professionals helping hundreds of youth get care. 
However, a shortage of mental health professionals and lack of school counselors and social workers complicate access and less than half of schools have made referrals. How do you feel about that? Do you think that that a school should be involved with that sort of thing? Um, what do you think? I'm interested to hear someone else's point of view. Philanthropy News Digest reports that Google commits to $20 million to expand computer science education. As part of the Grow with Google initiative, the funding from Google.org will support nonprofits, including 4-H, expanding computer education pathways, Hidden Genius Project, and CodePath, providing students in rural and urban communities with computer science education tools and training for future technology-focused careers. And John Hopkins receives $5.7 million for Spine Oncology Program. The gift includes $2.3 million earmarked for equipment for the Neurological Spine Center Lab located at John Hopkins Bayview at $3.4 million to John Hopkins University. The 20, I'm sorry, Federated Indians of Grattan Ranchera donate $3.5 million for library. The 20000 Square foot library will be added to a campus that will include a community center, an aquatic center, and a fire station in the Roseland section of Santa Rosa, California. Santander commits $5 million to city year programs. A $1 million grant will support the nonprofit's Whole School, Whole Child program in New York City. Boston, Miami, Philadelphia, Providence, and $1.5 million grant will be directed to City Year Dallas to expand financial literacy programming. And the Springer School receives $3 million matching pledge. The pledge from Harry and Linda Fath, a matching grant, was made during the silent phase of the organization's capital campaign, which is now $400,000 shy of its $15 million goal. Gambrel Foundation commits $1.8 million to JCSU. With the gift and support of Mayor Racial Equity Initiative in Charlotte, North Carolina, the Johnson C. Smith University component of the campaign surpassed its $80 million campaign goal. Bear with me. Let me check our time, too. Now we're running out of it. These hours just fly right by, don't they? Wise Foundation awards $1.3 million to promote economic opportunities. The grant will support efforts by the Center for Responsible Lending to protect consumers from predatory lending practices and advance consumer protections that create a fair financial marketplace. And Dallas Foundation awards inaugural Racial Equity Funds Grant. Launched in 2021, the fund is aimed at addressing 
the ongoing disparities that directly impact Dallas's Black and Latinx Hispanic residents by directing philanthropic dollars to organizations that combat systematic inequalities. Sorry, bear with me. Um, this is from fee.org, F-E-E, -E, and it says, More states are mandating kindergarten. Here are three reasons why that it's a bad idea. This was written by Carrie McDonald. Kindergarten may be valuable for some children, but it shouldn't be compulsory, she says. This back-to-school session or season, many parents are eager to drop off their, their kindergartners to begin their 13-year journey toward the high school graduation. It can be a joyful time full of anticipation and excitement, but just because something may be a desirable for many families doesn't mean it should be mandatory for all. California is the latest state to try to mandate kindergarten for all students, angling to become the 20th to do so. The California legislature recently passed a bill for compulsory kindergarten attendance that is now awaiting Governor Gavin Newsom's signature. Kindergarten may be valuable for some, but there are three big reasons why it should not be compulsory. Number one, increased risk of ADHD diagnosis. For some children, especially those who are among the youngest in their grade, kindergarten enrollment can be led to higher rates of ADHD diagnosis and treatment. Researchers at Harvard Medical School published a 2018 study in the New England Journal of Medicine finding that in states with September, finding that in states with a September 1st kindergarten age cutoff date, those children who were born in August and had just turned five years old were 30% more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD than older peers in the same grade. This shouldn't be particularly surprising to those who are parents who observe firsthand the big difference in attentiveness between a newly admitted five-year-old and a child who is about to turn six. One year matters a lot in early childhood development. Moreover, the Harvard researchers found that boys were more likely than girls to be diagnosed with ADHD, and many were treated with potent psychotropic drugs or medications. As Timothy Layton, the study's lead researcher at Harvard, stated, quote, Our findings suggest the possibility that large numbers of kids are being overdiagnosed and overtreated for ADHD, because they happen to be relatively immature compared to their older classmates in early years elementary school. Parents should be able to have full discretion over whether or not to enroll their children in education, especially if their children are young or immature for his or her age, rather than it becoming a universal government imposed requirement. Number two, Early academic expectations are often mismatched with normal childhood development. Over the past two decades, there has been broad 
bipartisan effort to push an academic content to increasingly younger students originating with the No Child Left Behind Act under President George W. Bush and renewed by Every Student Succeeds Act under President Barack Obama. The federal education policy has blended with a state and local policy to prioritize academic proficiency in testing and accountability at ever earlier ages. Not surprisingly, teacher expectations of what young children should be able to know and do at a certain age has changed alongside these policies. For example, in 1998, three years before the passage of NCLB, only 31% of teachers expected children to learn to read in kindergarten. In 2010, 80% of teachers expected this. Children today are supposed to read in kindergarten. If they don't, they are more likely to be labeled with a reading delay or similar diagnosis when they may not just not be ready to read. Um, okay, we have less than a minute left. This is pretty long. I'll give you number three, though. Compulsion weakens parental choice and autonomy. Rather than imposing more mandates on families, parents should have far fewer mandates and much more autonomy and choice on how they raise and educate their children. Expanding compulsory schooling statutes gives the state an even larger role in defining and overseeing education, limiting what parents can do. If you want to look up the article, just go to fee.org and type in more states are mandating kindergarten and you, you'll find the article fairly easily, I'm sure. And it will be in an upcoming issue of our magazine as well. As usual, I want to thank you for spending time with me today and, and listening to the news stories from all over the world. I want to remind you of Barbara Bullen's Civil Rights Show that airs on Sundays, Eastern Standard Time, here on the New Heights Show on Education. My show airs by on Wednesdays by 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you believe that everyone that is willing to work for it deserves a fair and equal education, we ask that you donate to our cause or maybe even volunteer with us. You can learn more by going to newheightseducation.org and of course, visiting our radio show page, radio.newheightseducation.org. Until next time. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings.